We will be taking a break from our series on the Holy Spirit uh, this week and next week, and we will be returning. Uh, It was not a planned break. Uh, Up until last night at about 6 p.m., we had planned to finish our Holy Spirit series, and uh, we were going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and it was great and exciting. And then uh, the Lord just kind of moved my heart in a different direction, and I prayed about it and tried to bargain with him all night to stay in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and it didn't do any good. So we ended up in Galatians 6, okay? But it's going to be great. Um, This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Galatians 6, and the title of the message is Listen Up. The reason that uh, it is entitled that way is because in Galatians 6, uh, last week we were in Galatians 5, so you remember some of that, but in Galatians 6, Paul is starting to wind down his letter, okay? Uh, Remember, chapters and verses were added afterwards as reference points. They were not a part of the original documents of Scripture, okay? So what happens is Paul ends a paragraph at the end of chapter 5, and he's starting a new paragraph, and his new paragraph is kind of a time where he's wanting them to listen up. He has some things for them before he lets them go in his letter, and he has a couple of important calls that he wants to call them to, some actions to call them to. And so this morning, we're going to be in Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Uh, As we've already referenced, Paul is the human author inspired by the Spirit of God who wrote the letter to the Galatians. It's a uh, letter to a group of churches in Galatia. And he writes them, and the occasion of his writing is to call them back to a sincere faith a faith that's not clouded by Judaism and uh, returning to a specific type of law that we have to keep in order to earn God's grace, he's calling them back to follow after Jesus wholeheartedly, completely, and in a simple faith receiving his grace. And last week, we talked about what it means to walk in the Spirit from Galatians 5, one of my absolute favorite passages. And then just by divine providence, we're in Galatians 6 this week, okay? So we'll pick up in verse 1. And we will read all the way down through verse 10. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast, or another way you could say that, his reason to rejoice will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray really quickly as we uh, open up God's word this morning. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for a time where we could just sit and praise you, Lord. We were able to come before you and pray to you already this morning. We've just been able to worship you and we're thankful for that. And Lord, over the next few short moments, I pray that you would take your word 
and that you would implant it in the hearts of us as believers. Not fancy words, not my words, not an illustration, but that ultimately your word and the truths of your word would be implanted in us by the Holy Spirit of God who resides in us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. As a spirit-guided individual, people are my ministry, and I am responsible to follow after God personally. And make no mistake about it, there is a hope to press forward no matter the circumstance. This morning, we're going to look at three specific calls from Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 10. Three specific calls that, yes, Paul gave to a group of churches many years ago. And guess what? They still ring true today. The calls are just as applicable because these calls were not dependent upon any culture or any minute thing that was happening in that time based on the government. No, these are calls to Christians that ring out through the ages. The first call is a call to edify. A call to edify. You see it right there in the first couple of verses. Paul opens up and he said, or he, excuse me, he opens up this new paragraph as he is seeking to call everyone to listen up right before he gives his final warning and his closing, his benediction. He's calling them to listen in. And he says this, brothers. Another way you could say it in our politically correct day would be brothers and sisters. He's not just talking to the guys, ladies. He's talking to everyone. He's kind of ta- using the term y'all or hey guys. You know how Pastor Aaron always says hey guys? That's what he's using here, okay? Brothers. Brothers and sisters. If anyone... Now time out. What does he mean by anyone? Anyone. You're exactly right. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, typically when we think of the term edify, we think of this encouraging, nice thing, right? Because the term edify literally means to lift up, right? To bear up, to uphold. So, I mean, typically that's a positive term. So, I mean, instantly we're going to think, man, edification means encouragement and I need a whole lot of edification, right? That's why the old term, like, I'm saying this for your edification, right? We don't use that terminology much anymore, but what we're trying to say is I'm trying to lift you up. I'm trying to give you a little boost, some encouragement. But lifting up, the idea of edification is not just one of encouragement, but it is also one of correction and restoration, which we see here in this verse. Brothers and sisters, if anyone among you is caught in any transgression, if anyone is weak and caught in sin, is another way that you could say that. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Now, we don't use the term gentleness or meekness much anymore. Like, what is meek, right? It's an interesting word to say, meek, right? But the, the greatest definition of gent- or, or meekness excuse me, that I've ever found is looking at the life of Moses and looking at the life of Jesus. A gentle strength. 
You see, we think of gentleness as something, or at least guys do, me, Stephen, I won't say everyone, I'll just say me, Stephen, a guy, thinks of gentleness in a negative light. Anybody else like that, where you think of gentleness in a negative light? You're like, dude, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be gentle right now because that's not cool, right? It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of kindness, but it's not just kindness. There is a firm kindness present here, gentle strength. Because you see, he's calling on them to restore people to walk in the way in which they are supposed to be walking according to Scripture. Not that they would back down from that responsibility, but that they would stand firm on that responsibility, but to do so in kindness, gentleness, a gentle strength, a firm kindness. How many of you know that that is something that has to be present in a parenting relationship? Firm kindness, right? Because as much as you want to, you can't toss them out of the car, okay? Like they have to stay in the car. So don't roll down the window and throw them out the car window. They got to stay in the car. So we got to be kind and gentle, but we do have to be firm on some things, right? We can't back down from certain things because there is a way in which we are trying to raise our children, right? 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 Come on, help me out, parents. Help me out here. Thank you. Okay. So he calls on them to edify, but to do so in a spirit of gentleness and to do so through a correction and restoration of those around them. To, to correct and restore in an attitude of grace and truth. And he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The idea here is restoration and walking with Jesus happens best in a community of believers. That's the whole point that he's trying to make here in these first couple of verses. And he's going to bring it around here in a few verses, and he's going to explain the backside of that, the two-edged, two-sided coin, so to speak. But the first and front side of that coin is Christianity is best lived out in community. A community that edifies. And part of edification, part of edifying, this lifting up process is correction and restoration. Now, I'm just going to be quite frank and honest with you. This does not happen much in our modern day culture, much less our modern day Christian American church. And when it does, many times we see the abuse of it. This is why you have hurtful, painful stories of Well, the church that I used to go to did fill in the blank. And I'm sure in a room this large, there are more stories than we could dive into in one day that are painful and hurtful that involve something like that. Many of us have not seen what it looks like to actually have a brother or sister in Christ come alongside of us and restore us gently. Like, what does that even mean? We don't see it. Because we are not restoring them to ourselves. That's the abuse of correction. I'm going to correct you because I said so, or this is what I want you to do, or we're going to build our kingdom. 
But in God's kingdom, the correct way of restoration is we are restoring one another to what? The Lord, his word. We have a standard to restore to. And we don't do so by taking the word of God and using it as ammo to try and painfully shoot up your way that you are not currently in step with his word or in step with the spirit, maybe, like we talked about last week, right? You got to remember the paragraph before this, he talks about being in step with the spirit in ways that that doesn't happen. Our goal is to not take the word of God and to try and destroy you. The goal is to gently restore you to the path of the Lord and his word. Question, when was the last time that you sought to gently restore a brother or sister in your life that you could see was clearly walking away from the Lord or struggling in their relationship with God and you did so in grace and truth? When was the last time that you had that happen to you? This is something that it ought to be practiced, but sadly is not. There's a call here to edification, and specifically edification in the sense of correction and restoration in gentle, firm kindness. But also we see edification pictured as care. Care. It's right there in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let's just be right up front about it. Ultimately, our burdens are borne by Christ through the Spirit of God. Christ has given us everything and what he did for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Ephesians 1, we have been given it all. We got all the riches, and guess what? Right now, we even got the down payment. We have the earnest through the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. Ultimately, our burdens are to be cared for by him. But have you ever noticed that in your personal life, sometimes there's a disconnect between your burden and getting it to the Lord? You ever notice that? This past week was a time where the burden was hard to get to the Lord for our pastor and his family. God gave the church to help bear one, another bur- one another's burdens as a bridge to help them find true comfort in him alone and his power. We're not supposed to bear one another's burdens indefinitely. We're not supposed to do it eternally. Why? We can't. You and I weren't made for it. And if you're trying to bear someone's burden consistently and continuously in your life, you know you were not made for it. Ultimately, the Lord bears our burdens. But as a church, as we edify and lift up one another, we ought to be seeking to be bridge points to help one another get to the point where we can receive God's comfort because we have laid our burdens at his feet. Edification as care. Lifting up. This lifting up. Edification, it happens, it's pictured as correction, as care, but also... It's pictured as community. Down in verse 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. You want to know why I love life groups? The reason I love life groups is because I get to sit down 
and be a part of a discussion about God and his word with other believers, and I'm not the only one talking. And there's been times in life groups where everybody's like, hey, I don't know about that. And we get to discuss something that I just said, and then we get to go to the Bible and figure out if it was actually right or wrong. And guess what? There's been a couple of times where it was like, hmm, probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, you're right. The reason I love life groups is because it pictures spiritual community. Their community is a two-way street. It's all the members of the church. Pastors, deacons, teachers, nursery workers, Awana volunteers, widows, widowers, children. Community is all of the Christians who follow after Jesus Christ coming together and lifting up one another in Christian community. Let, let, let us all share with one another the word of God, the teacher and those who are taught. It's a two-way street. Edification as correction, edification as care, edification as community. Edification, a call to edify. You know, edification in this picture is much different than encouragement. But what we're not talking about is peer pressure. You ever, you ever had peer pressure happen to you before? I remember when I was in uh, high school, I uh, started going to a different youth group, and up until that point, I had played baseball, and I learned the trumpet, and I had taken like, trumpet lessons for three years. Well, I went to my new youth group, and I started hanging out with a bunch of guys who were kind of like your sporty, like, jock-type guys, right? They're like the guys who are just walking around like, yeah, we play sports, right? And um, I started made fun of for playing the trumpet. All right, poor me, right? And so guess what I did? I stopped playing the trumpet. Now, at that moment in time, I did not care about the trumpet. Could have cared less. In fact, I was just like, dude, it's actually kind of a blessing that I don't have to play the trumpet. Now, fast forward a decade and a half or more. Guess what I wish? Wish I had never stopped playing the trumpet. It was a big mistake. I gave in to peer pressure, right? The pressure of my peers to do something in a negative way. Now, we're not talking about peer pressure and edification. What we're talking about is the lifting up this firm, gentle kindness. It is a positive, not a negative. And so are you actively seeking to restore your fellow Christians when they fall? Here's how we apply this call to edification. Are you actively seeking to restore your fellow Christians when they fall? Are you taking part in the care of the community of faith? Are you sitting on the sideline watching and waiting for them to care for you? Are you being vulnerable enough to allow others to help you bear your burdens to Jesus? I'll tell you what, this is one in our we-can-do-it-all culture that I find more and more. Somebody will come up to me and be like, man, did you know that this has been happening in my life recently? No, I had no idea. This is literally the first time I've ever heard about it. And they're like, man, I just wish I, wish I had been reached out to or this or that. You got to share it. You have to be vulnerable. But are you willing to be vulnerable in order to be a part of the community of faith and the care that we are called to in edification? 
Are you actively making yourself a part of Christian community or are you seeking to withdraw for any number of reasons? There's not just a one-size-fits-all there. Are you seeking to be a part of Christian community to follow this call to edify? Secondly, though, we see a call not just to edify, but a call to examine. A call to examine. And who are we examining? We're examining our own selves. See, the language switches now in verse 4. It's going to switch from a group project to an individual examination. Because you see, yes, Christian faith is best worked out in community, but it also comes down to how am I following through with what the Lord has given to me. It's a two-sided coin here. It's not one or the other, it's both and. And so Paul says in verse 4, he says, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But from the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life a call to examine ourselves. How many of y'all have ever had an annual checkup before with your doctor? Anybody have an ever, ever had an annual checkup? What about an annual checkup with your dentist? Anybody have one of those? What about an annual checkup with your eye doctor? Anybody have one of those? How many of y'all know there's a difference between an annual checkup and like a surgery? Did you know that there's a difference there? It's a big difference, right? Um... I remember back when I had my first heart procedure, the way that they found the irregular heartbeat was a, my ophthalmologist, who was giving me an eye examination, noticed that there was something with my vision that was causing issues, and he said, you know what, I could send you upstairs to a neurologist to see if you have a brain tumor. And I was like, thanks, Doc. Uh, that's real comforting. He was like, but I don't think you do. What I actually think you have wrong is, I think you need to go to a cardiologist because I think there's something wrong with your heart. All from an annual checkup. Then, blah, 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 went to a heart doctor. And then the first procedure, they spent six hours mapping every crevice, pathway, and cavity of my heart. It's actually really cool. Like, they showed me some of the pictures afterwards. I was like, that is awesome, right? I actually get to see inside of my own heart. Now, there's a difference between a simple annual checkup and a deep examination of something. And I believe Paul here is calling us to a deep examination of our lives. Not just a quick little annual checkup, but a deep examination. One that takes time, can be painful, but is necessary to attain consistent health. You see, in verse 4, Paul says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This is a principle. There'll be two principles that we'll see here, but there's, this is a principle of personal responsibility. You say, I thought boasting was bad. Well, the point Paul is trying to make is someone needs to be able to stand on their own faith. Read this, 
read this with me again. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast, another way that that word can be translated in English is rejoice. This idea of satisfaction, this idea of joy, it will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, not dependent on those around him, not dependent on their approval, not dependent on what they do, for each one will have to bear his own load. See, this isn't talking about the burdens of life that we struggle with and the trials that we're up above. It's a different word. It's speaking of a personal responsibility that you are responsible for your faith. You are responsible for your growth as a Christian. Yes, community enhances my personal growth, but ultimately there is a principle of personal responsibility that I must understand. But there's also a principle of planting and harvesting. See, a part of my personal responsibility as a Christian is I must not be deceived. I must understand that whatever I sow, I will reap. Do we have any gardeners in here? Anybody a gardener? So I put in a garden, a raised bed, like two years ago during the middle of COVID, right? Put in this nice little raised bed, put in plants, but guess what I did? I put in too many plants. You ever done that before where you get really excited about the space of garden you have and you overbuy on the plants? Well, I didn't learn from my mistake that year and I did it again this year, right? I went out and I was like, I'm going to get all these plants. I'm going to put it in my garden. And I still have a tray of plants sitting in my front yard. So by the way, if anybody needs squash or a couple tomato plants, come by my house after church today and you can have free plants, okay? Because they're going to die uh, this week if you don't get them, okay? But anyway, that's a side note. Um, I did it again this year. And guess what happens every year, okay? Till up the ground, which means I take my hands and I move it around because it's a raised bed, okay? This is not like a tractor and disc situation. This is a hand tilling situation, okay? Till up the ground, I put the plan in, and you'll never believe what happens. Every year, without fail, that I've done this, I get tomatoes from the tomato plants. I get squash from the squash plants, Zucchini from the zucchini plants, cucumbers from the cucumber plants, jalapenos from the jalapeno pepper plants, bell peppers from the bell pepper plants. Do you get where this is going? Why? Because that's what I planted. Now, we expect that on an agricultural level. Like, we've just grown to expect that. So why is it that in our lives, and guess what? I'm not just, I'm preaching to the choir here. I do this all the time in my own life. Why is it that we forget this completely when it comes to a personal, spiritual level? I am going to do fill in the blank. A, I'm going to do A, but expect that B will come out on the other end. Even though A and B are completely so far apart that no one would ever, even in their right mind, think that A will equal B, personally, I'm going to expect B to happen, even though I did A. You ever been there? Just a little personal honesty in church? Happens to me all the time. I'm telling you, man. I am going to be snippy with my wife. You know what snippy is? You know what snippy is? Do you know what snippy is? Come on. 
Like she says something, you're like, yeah, like you're just like snippy, right? Like a little dog. Like you're just going to lash out there with a little quick, quick snip. I'm going to expect to be snippy with my wife and then expect her to be kind to me for the rest of the day. Wow, okay, well, A and B, like, right? Like, yeah, we should be kind even when people are snippy, but like, I expect her to be overly kind. Okay, well, that doesn't work, right? Who in their right mind expects that to work? But yet, it happens. Now, we do this in smaller things like personal communication, but we also do it in larger things. Like, we expect that if we hold on to our own way of doing things, somehow God will still work out spiritual blessings and growth in our life, even if I'm in control of my life. I'm going to hold on to this area of my life because I like it, I love it, it feels good, and I'm going to hold on to it and expect that God is still going to somehow grow me and give spiritual fruit, even though I am a million miles away from putting his word into action in my life. A does not equal B. It equals A. B equals B. And so why is this a struggle in our lives? Well, we're human and we're proud. (laughs) If God has given us his word, he has manifested to us, he's shown to us his Revelation, who he is. We have his written word and his living word. We've been given it all, man. We literally have so much access to God's revelation that it would make some of our early brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ sick to their stomach how much we have at our disposal. Yet, we sometimes miss the principle that we will reap what we sow. That means if I want to have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, I better be sowing time with him. I better be sowing obedience to his word. I better be sowing love for him and others. And the list can go on and on. There's a principle of planting and harvesting. And if I want to sow the Spirit, I can know that I will reap eternal life. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we can think that eternal life begins when we die. Eternal life begins the moment that you accept the gift of God and the gift of grace into your life and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. You're experiencing eternal life now if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And if you want to have a close walk with him and be led by the Spirit, kind of like we talked about last week, you better be sowing the Spirit, the principle of planting and harvesting. So how do you apply a call to examination, personal examination? Well, you can ask yourself this question, where is my focus at? Is it on the approval of others? Is it on what others do for me? Because guess what? Other people's relationship with Jesus Christ is not going to do us any good when we meet him. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. What you plant, you'll reap. That's what Paul says here to them. Where is our focus at? Is it on God? Or are we expecting someone else to take up our faith for us? Do you take 
a responsibility and account for your actions or to seek to stand on others. What are you sowing in your life? You say, well, whatever happened to grace? Oh, it's still there. That's why we get numerous and multiple chances in life and God just continuously lavishes us with his grace. Make no mistake, sowing does not earn grace from God. Sowing is a result of the grace of God working in my life. And it continuously draws me closer to him. A call to edify, a call to examine, and lastly, quickly, we'll be done once we look at this last call, a call to endure. Tell you what, this one hit home with me this week. I don't know about you. A call to endure. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a clear command here and make no mistake about it. The command is don't grow weary in doing good. You ever grow weary in doing good? Ever just get annoying to do the right thing? You see so much pain around you, so much hurt around you, and you're like, why can't we just be the avenger and take out revenge on humanity all around us for the crimes that they have committed? And all of a sudden, cynicism starts to creep into your soul. You ever been there? I've been there. I mean, I might as well not love on so-and-so and be kind to them because they're just going to end up turning their back on me anyway. Okay? I mean, I don't expect anything from anyone because everybody's just going to end up leaving me and betraying me and doing hurtful things to me. I'm never going to trust in, and all of a sudden we have a cynical spirit. And he follows up the command in verse 10 with, do good to everyone. Almost an implication to avoid a cynical spirit. Life is long. The journey is hard. But we are to not grow weary in well-doing. Instead, we are to look forward, look up. Because we know that in due season we will reap. And what will we reap? Well, if we sowed the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. See, it goes back to the call to examine. The call to endure is born out of that. This means that in the middle of life's trials, toughness, hurts, pains, my reason for moving on and following Jesus and continuing in the journey is not wrapped up in anything that I do, anything that I've done, any person other than the person of God himself. And I access this journey and stay on this journey through the power of the Holy Spirit within me. This summer, uh, one of our uh, college students, Sydney Ogle, she's serving out at Camp Eagle. And uh, some of your kids are actually going to be going there next week. And I'll be out there with them, and I'll be speaking out there. And it'll be awesome, and it'll be great. But I have a love for camp. I love Camp Eagle, too. I served out there for a summer. 
And uh, back when their former director was uh, alive, Stanley, uh, he was a mentor in my life, coached my basketball team, really tight with him, and I just loved camp. I remember I worked out there a summer, and I was a camp counselor. Now, camp counselors, they can be like a little wild sometimes, right? And so, like, I remember I did not know what to expect going out there. I was like, dude, we're just going to be like walking around barefoot and like, mud pits all summer, and we're going to be smelly, not taking showers, right? Because, like, you see all the, like, kind of, like, the bad side of camp counselors, like, on TV and, like, things like that. They always portray it in, like, this wild, negative, free life, right? And so I was kind of concerned about how it was going to go. So I remember going out there, and I remember the first week was awesome. I was tired, but I was like, dude, I'm going to be an awesome camp counselor. This is awesome. I just got trained all week. I mean, yeah, I'm tired, but, like, it's going to be great. And then weeks one and two hit. And I remember you would be up from 5.30 until 12.30, 1 o'clock at night. Once the kids had gone to bed, you were still doing chores. I remember dealing with all of the kids' things that they would bring, their burdens that they would bring. I remember walking literally, I don't know how many miles up and down hills, but hundreds, it had to be hundreds. And I remember you would get to the end of each week and you would be literally spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically exhausted. You would smell because you'd go home at the end of the day on Friday so you didn't have time to take a shower. So your car smelled the whole way home. You had all the laundry that had been smelling all week. Car stunk, you stunk, life stunk. (laughs) You were tired. You'd go home, you'd literally walk into the shower, rinse off, fall into bed, and wake up at some point the next day. And between then and there, it was just kind of this blur of like comatose reality where you're like sleeping but awake, right? And you say, well, what kept you going during that time? I remember there was weeks where you wanted to quit, right? There's weeks where you have that kid. Some of you know because you might be parents to that kid, right? You got that kid, right? And you're like, oh, 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 man. Woo! Some weeks something would go wrong and you would get blamed for it and you had to work through things on a staff level. And some weeks there's injury and who knows? But in all of that, The thing that our camp director, Stanley, did so well, and they still do with their new camp director, is they kept the Spirit of God inside of you as your power to continue on. And he would always remind us, you're not tired, you're just dependent on the Spirit of God. I remember the first week, he said in staff training week, you're not going to use the word tired as a staff. We had a a language we had to adopt, right? You're not going to say tired. You're going to say dependent. So it became a joke all summer because we were like, you dependent? Yeah, I'm dependent. You know, it just sounds weird. You're like, okay, that's weird. And, uh, but it's a truth that has stuck with me since then. Because the spirit of God is the power that gets me through. And what is the goal? I think the goal is wrapped up really well in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. 
What he's saying is, I don't consider that I'm a perfect person. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the goal? Well, it's Jesus. It's the eternal life that he has made possible. It's the eternal life that I've begun to live if the Holy Spirit lives in me and the eternal life that I can look forward to one day when I'm reunited with him perfectly in heaven. That's the goal. So no matter what I am going through, whether it's something like a summer at camp or maybe it's actually a really, really painful and hurtful experience that you right now are going through that you're like, man, I wish I could have a summer as a camp counselor. The goal is upward. The power is inward. Because the Holy Spirit of God, if you are a Christian, he has promised that he has taken up residence inside of you. So I don't got to worry about me because I can depend and walk in the Spirit like we learned about last week. And I can press on towards the goal that is in front of me. It's wrapped up in the person of Jesus and what he's done for me. So how can I apply this idea of endurance, this call to endurance? Well, we can answer the question, are you weary? Specifically, are you weary and doing good? If so, who or what are you depending on? What promises of God are you clinging to? In no way, shape, or form does God ever promise that you will not go through trials that you won't be physically weary, but he does promise that he will empower you in those moments and walk beside you and comfort you. Because you see, we looked at the goal that we can strain after in hard times in Philippians, but there's also verses in Scripture like Psalm 34, 17 through 19 that I can have comfort that I have a God who is near me. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You say, how do you expect that to work out practically in my life or your life? I have no idea. But what I do know is that I've trusted in that promise consistently since I've known Jesus, and he has not failed me. Are you looking to help others in their weariness? Are you looking to lift them up and help them? Have you grown cynical of others because of your weariness in doing good? Whatever it is, there is a call to endure. A call to edify, a call to examine, and a call to endure. I serve a sovereign God who calls me through his word to follow after him, This is done both personally and publicly because he is my hope no matter what life may bring. May we as a church follow these calls both individually and corporately in the coming days as we seek to follow after Christ, to walk in the spirit, to be guided in his power and to edify one another. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would convict where conviction is needed. Lord, in a text like this, it speaks to my heart, and I know it speaks to others' hearts as well. 
that we would obey the call to edify one another and to lift one another up in everything that that means, that we would examine our own selves personally and align our lives with what and where you are at. And Lord, that we would continue to endure, even in the middle of weariness, even in the middle of hard times, that we would endure and follow the power that you have given us and the goal that you have given us. And that we would comfort ourselves in you and your comfort. Lord, I pray that you would convict where needed. I pray that you would comfort where needed, Lord. This morning, our church, pain represents many in our church. Hurt represents many of in our church. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, Lord, in all ways. And I pray that you would comfort and I pray that you would heal. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to take part in the community of faith and to put into practice these calls in our own individual lives as well. We love you so much. And in Jesus' name, amen.